life is like this big um, uh, tapestry. And when we're going through life, so much of it is we're in the back of the tapestry and all we see is threads hanging out. We see a little bit of a rough design, but it's just, it doesn't look like a whole lot. But when you turn it over, there's this beautiful picture. And that's when you're kind of saying, oh, this makes all make sense now. Welcome to the Experience Jesus Calling podcast. Today, we speak with Marty Rowe, the lead singer of Diamond Rio, a Grammy award-winning country music group, and J.T. Olson, the founder and executive director of Both Hands Foundation, and author of the book about his life and his ministry entitled The Orphan, The Widow, and Me. These two longtime friends share the story of how God led them to start a ministry that is bringing help and hope to both orphans and widows. Hey, I'm Marty Rowe, and uh, I'm the lead singer of Diamond Rio. I was born in a church house, pretty much. I mean, my, I was about a week old the first Sunday I ever attended church. Um, and I grew up in uh, a church of Christ uh, in s- southern Cincinnati. And like I said, growing up on a farm, most a lot of farmers. My dad was a teacher, but we also farmed. Like most teachers, he had more than one job. There never was a time that God was not a the major part of our, our life growing up. And I'm J.T. Olson. I'm the executive director of Both Hands Foundation and the author of a new book called The Orphan, The Widow, and Me. I was raised on a farm in northeastern Iowa, and uh, we had there's five kids in our family, and it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful part of the country and uh, had a great childhood uh, growing up there on a farm. March of 1969, and I remember I'd spent the whole day playing in my buddy's barn, so I was pretty dirty. And I went down to the basement uh, to take my boots off. And I remember sitting on this chair and my unlacing my boots. And my oldest brother came down the basement stairs. I looked up at him and I said, are mom and dad home? I was excited to see mom and dad. They had uh, left to go celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And us five kids were kind of farmed out to different places. And Saturday came along and they were coming home and we were being brought home. And he just looked at me and he said, Mom and Dad are dead. And I was shocked. You know, I said, what? And he said, Mom and Dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. And he turned around and went upstairs. And I just, uh, I remember hitting the floor. I remember that cold cement floor and wailing. I think the way any 12-year-old would wail. I mean, it's when I think about it, and I think back on it, that would be referred to as an earth-shattering experience. I mean, that's the only way I can think about it, because everything that you hold dear, everything that's important, the things that keep you tethered, the things that make life make sense, when you're 12, your parents are a big part of that, and it's gone. So, you know, the things that happen to you, when you hear the fact your mom and dad are gone, One of the things that goes through your head is what's going to happen to us. Who's going to take care of us? And uh, I know there's a lot of kids in the foster care system who weren't as lucky as I was to have family. We were very fortunate, us five kids, because my mom and dad had some foresight. And uh, about three months before the accident, they had changed their will. And so that if anything would ever happen to them, my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, would take the kids and vice versa. And uh, they lived in a very 
nice suburb of Milwaukee called Brookfield. And they took all five of us in. So they're my heroes. My first memory of, of an, a genuine introduction and a kind of a, a stripped down moment between JT and I, we bought a house. So we moved in and the neighbors next door had four little kids. And within the first week or two, our two small children, one which was basically a year old, I guess Sarah yeah. was, just a toddler, um, they kept running back and forth between the houses and they made a basically made a muddy path between the two houses. And, and we hadn't really, we'd met, but we hadn't really had a lot of time together. I grew up on a farm also, so we had a bunch of rocks on our property. And I picked up all these big rocks. And I said, we're going to make a path between our house and their house. And, we, and I was edging it out and putting rocks in there right up into his driveway. <laughs> and I don't really know where the property line was. But while we were doing that, he comes out. And I went, I, it just kind of hit me. I went, hey, is it okay that we do this? <laughs> our kids are, you know. Um, We've been there 21 years, and um, we're we're family. It's been a, an absolute godsend that we would have never, you know, you could hope for those kind of things uh, as you're raising a family, those kind of close-knit neighborhoods. Um, God was good to me. I, I travel a lot for a living, and I'm not home, especially back then. I wasn't home very much, and uh, it was a comforting thought to know that— uh, uh, we had an anytime friend right next door. We do uh, Monday night football with the guys and, and watch Monday night football literally on the back of my house. Um, the best way to watch football game, I might add. So It is. Just, we have a lot of fun. But we also get a chance to share some hopes and dreams and things there. And JT was telling us all about this experience. He had left uh, a long career with Southwestern mm -hmm. and then and started his own business. And um, I was impressed by his uh, passion to really find what he, he was kind of in his midlife uh, scenario. It's definitely in his work anyway, and uh, was very, very diligent about uh, trying to find how his second half of his life could, could be more uh, benevolent, a little more focused on God's will and maybe a little less on his own personal career. The, the way it all started was I was on the board of Bethany Christian Services. And uh, my job that year was to do the fundraiser. And I was in charge of that. So I thought we'd do a golf tournament, you know, where you mail letters out to people and say, would you sponsor me while I golf? And uh, we, I did that and we got it all going. I sent my letters out like I was supposed to. And I had a buddy who I was in a Bible study with he sends my letter back to me, and he doesn't send me a check. He just scribbles on my letter. He says, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you, but you're just golfing. Nice cause, but not my money. <laughs> and I mean, and it hurt my feelings a little bit, but at the same time, I thought, geez, that's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, and I called him a couple days later, and we talked about it and laughed about it. Um, 
He still didn't give me any money. Uh, but I'd be, but the idea just never left me. Whenever I saw a golf tournament or a 5K race or anything like that, I kept thinking, you know, if they were working on a widow's house, would that be more compelling? Well, about three years later, I run into a friend of mine at church, just hadn't seen him in a couple months. I said, what's up? He said, I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I went over there on a mission to deliver beds to orphanages fell in love with this 11-year-old boy, started the adoption process, and found out he's got three siblings, and we're just not going to break the siblings up. Well, I'm the just right guy to say that to, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all for keeping siblings together, having been a product of that. And uh, I just, and, and Don already had three kids. So, you know, I asked Don, I said, how much is this going to cost? He said about $65,000. I said, do you know how you're going to raise it? He said, no, and I said, I think I got an idea. So long story short, we got about 13, 14 guys. We all mailed letters out to everyone we knew, saying, would you sponsor me for the day while I work in this widow's house? I found a widow in Nashville who needed help, got all the supplies donated, so we didn't spend any money, you know, and we spent the day working on our house. And when it was over, we'd raised uh, over $55,000. And that was the first both hands project. Well, and it was just amazing. I literally felt like I was on hallowed ground because I was expecting maybe 10 or 15,000. But 55,000, I was just blown away. And uh, that started a little bit of my discontentment with my job because all of a sudden I got a taste of what it was like to do that. And it was just totally different than the particular business I was in, which was recruiting and stuff like that. Had a friend of mine who did, came up to me after we did Don's project and he said, would you help me with one? So we did another project. And it was at the end of that project in April of 2008 where it hit me. I thought, ah, this is what I gotta do. And about four months later, I ended up leaving my company and starting both hands officially. He told me about his, the project he did with Don and his idea. I saw something that could was very marketable, and and I, I basically all I did was just encourage him, and I became a cheerleader on the front end there, just saying, "Man, this is a spectacular idea. We we need to, you know. I think even then I might have said, "Man, you need to write a book. You need to, you know, <laughs> get and and get this figured out." Um, and uh, then I got a chance to be, I don't know if it was the second or the third project that we did um, down in Franklin. Um, anyway, and we, we were a part of that, and I wrote letters, and I'm not a very good at asking for help. Um, I've, it's been a learning process for me. He's gotten I, good at it, though. <laughs> but I, uh, so, and I, I got involved with that, and I did went through the process that he'd had done, and, and he'd actually, you know, kind of begun to get a pretty good business model. So anyway, we just a lot of discussion, a lot of cheerleading uh, there on the deck, and hearing the results on the front end uh, was honestly didn't surprise me that much. It, it excited me and it confirmed, I think that's what he felt, a confirmation that this is something that God is rewarding this. And uh, and so I I tried to do my part to, to support it. And uh, at some point we uh, became a little more official and needed a board and he asked me to do that, which is basically just do the same thing I've been doing, and that's 
try to be a good sounding board and a, and a cheerleader. The very first one that I was a part of and to watch the transformation of a widow's home in a day's time and to see the, the actual, uh, just the impact on her and the fact that the adoptive family is actually there working on the project too. They're a part of this. They don't just sit back and receive something and do nothing. They are engaged. The widow gets engaged with the, with the adoptive family. And, and hopefully and historically, we've had lots of widows and adoptive families who develop lasting relationships uh, through that. We have videos of every project we've ever done. We ask them to do that. And I, it's, how many have we done now? 653. 653 projects. And every time I watch a video, I cannot keep from weeping with joy about it. It is emotional because it's so, it's just a pure act of kindness. And our theme scripture that, J, that God gave JT, James 1.27, the purest form of religion is to minister to widows and orphans. Stories like JT's and the fact that I, God has placed our family close to one another, um, I don't believe that that's an accident, that that's part of God's uh, taking care of us, giving us an availability. And, and, and I think everybody has those. Um, I think my knowledge and awareness of, of my spirituality and the Lord only allows me to recognize God's footprint in my life. Um, and so it causes me to be, maybe be a little more readily aware and grateful for it than someone who's not as aware, but he's, all, he's there and he's chasing us. JT and Marty have raised over $7.1 million for families to use for adoption, impacting hundreds of orphans who have been able to be placed with loving families. They continue to trust God that He will enable them to do another 150 projects this year alone. JT and Marty seek out God's guidance by reading His Word daily, and they both enjoy the encouragement that Jesus' calling brings to their lives. My wife and I uh, mentored a group of kids in our Sunday school at church. We, we called it a lifeguard group, and you took kids from the seventh grade through their senior year of high school. And our neighbor across the road was one of our children, uh, which we'd known him, Ty Jr., and his dad and mother I went to college with, and they, they also knew them. We conned them into buying a house on our street so we could get our kids together. And we've had a, had a it's been a great story. And uh, so uh, Ty Jr. Was, had, was using this, and he had kind of introduced me to it in, on Sundays, so I, I got a hold of one. But um, it became a little more important to me when we lost Ty uh, in a car accident um, in 2012. I heard about it, too, because one of the things that um, they talked about at Ty's funeral was what did he read that morning. And he was reading the Jesus Calling book, and it was obvious from some things they found, or I'm not sure, or the discussions he was having with people. And so as, uh, as a gift, his mom and dad bought a bunch of copies of it and just gave them away to everybody. I got mine out and I looked and I do have uh, some highlighting. One is April 1st, April Fool's Day of all things. Just one line out of that that I highlighted and it said a, a successful day 
is one in which you have stayed in touch with me. And um, I can vouch for that because um, I, I have days where I have to get up early and I, and I don't get a chance to do my devotional time, you know. Um, it started out where I, when I, as a discipline that, okay, I'm, I'm going to spend 15 minutes just in the Word, whatever. I didn't have any other tools helping like Jesus calling anything. Just I want to open up the Bible and read some Scripture and pray. Um, an hour is not long enough for me most of the time these days. I, I, I'm always sad that I have to stop. <laughs> That's the truth. We all have unique situations that we've come through and challenges and, and trials that uniquely equips us to minister to other folks yes. who have that same, yes. same thing. And JT has just walked that line. Um, you know, if it was some other scenario, um, he's not equipped for that. But this is what he's been equipped for, and he's stepped in faith uh, for that. And I'm forever grateful and proud to know the guy. You know, it's funny because whenever I tell the both hands story to a group, for the last five, six years, someone always comes up to me at the end and says, you should write a book. And so we did. The Orphan, the Widow, and Me. And the subtitle is Paying It Forward with Both Hands. We finally got it got it done, and we've been working on it for a while. And um, But it's I, I just think it's a story that it, it really it, it can inspire people because I think there's things that happen to all of us in life that we can use them as an excuse or we can use them as a stepping stone. You know, we can... <laughs> they can be an obstacle or they can be something that's going to help you figure out how to get tougher. And and, uh, and it, I think so much of it points towards a faith. And that's the story is about a faith walk. It's, it's about how God can take something that's hard and, and painful and turn it into something that's beautiful. To find out more about Both Hands Ministry and how you can get involved, visit their website at bothhands.org. You can also get JT's book, The Orphan, The Widow, and Me, at bothhandsbook.com. Next time on the Experience Jesus Calling podcast, we speak with Leanne Mancini. Leanne is an author, a speaker, and a Bible teacher who writes stories for kids that help them explore their faith. What led me to write my first uh, children's Christian book was the fact that when my children were small, I could not find any books that showed characters actually praying to Jesus. We always found books that talked about Jesus. I wanted my kids to see that there were situations in their life, difficulties that they face in school, and that they could actually go to Jesus and pray to him. And I also wanted to instill in them the love and compassion for others to be like Jesus. Our featured passage for today's show comes from the April 1st entry of the Jesus Calling audiobook. I am calling you to a life of constant communion with me. Basic training includes learning to live above your circumstances, even while interacting on that cluttered plane of life. You yearn for a simplified lifestyle so that your communication with me can be uninterrupted. But I challenge you to relinquish the fantasy of an uncluttered world. Accept each day just as it comes and find me in the midst of it all. 
Talk with me about every aspect of your day, including your feelings. Remember that your ultimate goal is not to control or fix everything around you. It is to keep communing with me. A successful day is one in which you have stayed in touch with me, even if many things remain undone at the end of the day. Do not let your to-do list, written or mental, become an idol directing your life. Instead, ask my spirit to guide you moment by moment. He will keep you close to me. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.